Good morning. Hey, I hope you're awake now. <laughs> so glad to have you guys with us uh, this morning as we continue this series through the book of Romans, kind of discussing this idea of righteousness. So uh, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, and especially last week, Kurt talked about um, Romans 9 and 10 and kind of the unbelief of Israel and them wandering away. So today we'll be in chapter 11 of Romans. So whatever you have to get into the Word, um, Bible, smartphone, tablet, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 11. We, um, we're going to be kind of in a transitional uh, talk today with Romans 11 because it's talking a little bit about where Israel has been in the past and sort of that unbelief and the reason that they were kind of outside of um, God's family at this point and uh, sort of the transition towards uh, Romans 12 and kind of what God desired for his people in the future. Um, so it's, it's really just putting the ball on the tee for chapter 12, but uh, the, it's 36 verses, so I'm not going to read it all the way through like I usually do. Um, it kind of divides itself into four sections, so we'll just kind of tackle it that way today. So if you want to follow along with me, we'll read verses 1 through 10. Paul begins here, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altar. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they could not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David said, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Paul always begins with a question most times. He says, did God reject his people? He uses his three little words that he uses so much through this book. By no means. No, he, he still loves his people. And Paul points himself out. He says, I'm a testament to that. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a descendant of Abraham. Uh, I've, I was high up in the ranks as far as this, this uh, kind of hierarchy of, of Judaism goes. And God's still using me. God's with me. He didn't reject his people. He knew all of this was going to happen. He, he foreknew everything. He, from the beginning of time, he knew what Israel was going to do. And, and what they were in at this point of, of this wandering, uh, he... He wasn't surprised. God's rarely surprised when we do the things that we do. And he, he kind of quotes uh, Elijah from 1 Kings here, and he says, you know, Elijah's very dramatic at this point. He's like, they've, they've killed everyone. They've wandered away. They've killed all these people. They've destroyed all your altars. They're out to get me. I feel like I'm the only one here who's serving you, God. And as many of us know, when we get into these dramatic moments and we come to God and we're like, what are you doing? I don't understand. God's like, cool it. I got it. I got it. There's still a faithful few out there that are serving me. And to those people, God gives his grace and everything. And for those that wander away, they sought earnestly to get what they couldn't attain, their own righteousness. 
And we're all guilty of that at different points in our lives. I remember when I was, um, when I was a kid, I was in the fifth grade, and I had a big nasty fight with my mother and my brother, which for me, we're a pretty reserved family, so it was like us talking like this to each other and then being like, okay, and then walking away. So I, I decided after this argument, I was like, all right, fine, I've had it, I'm running away. So I put my Spider-Man action figure in my backpack and I left. And I was gone for about 20 minutes and I came back, but that's where a lot of us find ourselves when it comes to our spiritual walk, as we try to just veer off. We wander, we want to find our own righteousness, we want to figure it out on our own, And that's not how it works. God says the faithful few were able to obtain this righteousness because of God, but the other ones were hardened. They got this this spirit of stupor. They they couldn't see where God was, was, was moving. They couldn't hear what he was telling them. Their own appetites, their table became the stumbling block. It became the thing that held them back from God. And that's where we see Israel at the end of verse 10. They they can't see God, they're not hearing God. They've wandered from the family, but the good news is God isn't done with them yet. His grace is still there. His grace is still abundant. And after their wandering, this kind of freed up some roster spots in the family of God for some new people to hop in. And that was the, the opportunity that the Gentiles had to be part of the family of God. He, he sent Jesus, and because of that, uh, he, he kind of expanded his kingdom here. So in verses 11 through 24, he, he talks to the Gentiles and he says, this is where we are now because of Israel's wandering. He says, again, I ask, do they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? He, he highlights, he says, listen, they've wandered, but they're not too far gone. They haven't stumbled enough that they're not able to get back up. God still is there for them. He's still going to bring them back. And he kind of highlights this balance to God's plan. See, it was because of, the, of, of Israel that the Gentiles were even able to be part of the family of God. Israel wandered away, they had their part, and because of that, it kind of slingshotted the Gentiles into God's family. And it's from their side of things, the Gentiles, it's because of them that Israel is going to be brought back into the family of God as well. And he, Paul talks about this in verse 13 and, and on. He says, I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dill offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. He's saying, listen, my, my ministry has been primarily to the people that weren't formerly in the family of God the Gentiles, those people that were considered heathens, the people that the, the Israelites didn't want any part of. He's like, I've been reaching out to you. That's been my, my ministry, and I desperately want you to know the, the love and acceptance that Jesus brings. But I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm doing that partially because I want to make my own people jealous. I want them to know that mercy and grace that Jesus gives just as much as you, and I'm hoping that I will make them envious and that they'll turn back to God. 
because it's the only way that any of us are going to be holy. It's the only way that any of us are going to be saved is through Jesus. So he calls them from here on to this partnership in that ministry, in that message, in that call. And and the first thing he really calls them to is to be humble. He kind of gives them the what for. He's like, this is what I desire of you. He says, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, that being a Gentile, has been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not share the natural, spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? He's saying, listen, it's more difficult for you to have come in because you're from something that's completely different than what the family of God has looked like. You've come from a completely different background. And we wanted to bring you in, and you've, you've been grafted into this family. You've been included in the family of God and his kingdom, but don't let that get to your head. You being part of the family of God when, when the people Israel have wandered away doesn't make you any better than them. It doesn't make you any better. And for those that return, that doesn't make you any better than them. You're all there because of your belief. You're all there because... The Father, the root, is the one that supports you. So he calls them to this humility. And it's that humble following of Jesus, it's that humble sacrifice that we make that's going to point other people back to Jesus. It's, and in verses 25 through 32, he, he hits on that. He, he really um, tells them the, really the why of why he desires this for them. He says, I I don't want you to be ignorant of the mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they're enemies for your sake, but as far as election is concerned, they're loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. There's, there's a give and take here. He says, I don't want you to think you're better than anybody else because guess what? It's only because of, first off, what Jesus has done that you get to be part of this family. Of him coming, living this perfect life, taking our sin on the cross. We don't have to deal with that anymore. That means we get to be part of this family. We have this connection with Jesus. But even more than that, the Gentiles did not get to be at the spot that they were at without 
the Israelites. It was only because of them as well that they were able to be in the spot that they were in. So he says, don't, don't think you're better than them. Come alongside them. Use the example that Christ has given you to lead them back to him. I remember when I was a kid, um, kind of this jealousy was, was a big thing for me because everyone, it seemed, in the neighborhood except for me had a bicycle. I wanted a bicycle so bad. Oh, man. I, I could see them riding around, and, and even some of them had training wheels, but they, were, they had a lot of freedom, and I wanted that. I wanted to be able to ride a bike. And finally, my family, my mom and dad, they took us, and we got these, these bikes, and, and it was just, it was sweet. And my brother and I, we put the training wheels on, and it was really cute because we were really tiny, and we rode around, and I was content, right? But sooner or later, I saw people riding it on two wheels. <sighs> Game changer. I want to ride it with two wheels now, so it was, all right, I tossed them off, and I tried for it, and I fell down a lot of times, granted, but then I got it, and I had this newfound freedom, I could ride my bike so much faster, I was part of the cool kids club now, like, it was great. My brother, my brother was a little bit slower to develop in that, he didn't, he didn't get it quite as quickly as I did, and instead of going alongside him, instead of helping him out with figuring out how to ride his bike on two wheels, I lorded that over him as often as I could. Like, really? You're still on training wheels? Okay. Well, guess what? I'm, uh, I can ride my bike on two wheels. So, yeah, I'm better. I'm better. And that, this, this was something that I just, I lorded over him. And as a little kid, we don't always think about having that humility and help each other out. But instead of calling people out, instead of our arrogance limiting us, that pushes people away, we should walk alongside people and help them. Our, our lives should reflect Jesus to the degree that people are jealous of the life we have. And I don't mean that in saying that, you know, we follow Jesus and he gives us everything we have, we get a lot of material possessions and all these things. It just means that what Jesus has given us through his grace and his mercy and the life that we get to live in service to him and the joy that he gives us, no matter the season, whether it's happy, sad, or in between, how we live our life in showing those things to other people should make them jealous of our life. It should make them want to have what we have. And in the next few verses, it's Paul just praises God for his plan here. And uh, I have a friend, uh, and this friend tells a lot of jokes. And they're the jokes that you got to think about for a second and I always feel like kind of dumb whenever he tells them to me, you know? He tells them and I'm just like, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, you know those type of jokes? I'm like, I, I see what you did there. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's just stepping back and he's looking at this plan that God has made. And he says, huh, <laughs> I see what you did there. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He says, look at how awesome God's plan is. He takes these two people or groups that have hated each other since the beginning of time, one from this one background and one from this other background, and he's going to use the example of one to bring the other one back to Jesus, and it's kind of the seesaw effect where each person is brought closer to Jesus because of the other. He's going to reunite us. God has worked and is still working to bring his family together. 
I'm, uh, I'm not a very emotional person. Many of you probably know that already. I, I'm not a big feeler. There's not many things that really get the waterworks going. But if there is one, it's when I see those videos on Facebook or YouTube or wherever of military families being reunited. You know, they've been gone forever, and then they get to surprise their, their spouse or their child at whatever event, and there's just this huge embrace, and everyone's crying, and I'm like, oh, there's something in my eye, you know? <laughs> but the thing that gets me even more is thinking about God's family, every tribe, every people, everyone that God has made being united into this one family, this one kingdom. Boy, that gets me. But the work's not done yet. He's still working to do this. So what's that mean for us? In this partnership with him, this, this means that we, we need to be known even more what we're for than what we're against. We've talked about this before on Sunday mornings, but in, instead of pointing out the flaws and how other people are following Jesus or other people are living their lives outside of God's family or the ways that the world are, are, are broken and difficult, we should be known what we're for, the love and grace of Jesus, the transformation that we can do in our communities, the, the love that he gives us that we also give to each other. Our example, how we follow Jesus, is what will draw others to him. God's mission is to bring his family together. And it's up to us to live our lives in accordance with that mission. So with that in mind, I have two, two little applicational points for you guys this morning. It's a little couple takeaways. Number one, remain in the vine. We talk about being part of this olive tree where we get to be grafted in. We all get to be part of this. And the root in Jesus takes us. And, and John 15 tells us that we are to remain in the vine because he remains in us. And apart from him, we can do nothing Focus on your relationship with Christ and each other. Because we can't do anything apart from Jesus. And apart from the church, apart from the body, there's very little encouragement. So let us look to Christ for our example and spur each other on towards good works. Remain in the vine. Number two, build relationships with those outside of God's family. And that means people that don't know him, they haven't known him before, and people that have wandered away. Because as much as our example is going to draw people to Jesus and help point people to Jesus, we still need to go out and seek those people. Jesus didn't say, therefore, wait until they come to church and see my example. He said, therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go out and get them. Go out and get them and bring them here. God's mission is to bring his family together, and it's up to us to live our lives in accordance with that mission. Let's pray. God, thanks for your plan and how it's better than ours. Thanks for bringing together two very different sides of the coin, two very different outlooks, two very different backgrounds, making it whole, God. And thank you for including us in that mission, in that work. May we always seek to show the same example that you have shown us, that we would love one another as you have loved us, that we would seek one another as you have sought us, God, and that through our lives, others would be made jealous and that they would be drawn to you, God, in your name. Amen.